So this is Hawkeye. And what have you done? Another rip over. And you are just begun. Yes, it's Christmas, folks. So if you're in the market for a last-minute stocking filler, why not try the very best of the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra Hawkeye Christmas Festive Edition, featuring all your favorite Hawkeye holiday season hits like Kingpin Merrily and I in heaven and Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But the arrow's so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it go, let it go, let it go And Simply having a wonderful pizza dog And who can forget Hey Bishop, I gave you my one But the very next day you gave it away This year to save me from tears, I'll give it to you, Lena Belova. And all these incredible hits are available in one place. Yes, it's the very best of the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra Hawkeye Christmas Festive Edition. Featuring this year's Christmas number one, the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra's Marvel Studios Fanfare. Out now on Betamax and Cassette Tape. Get your copy now! Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and yes, that is an album you need to buy right now. Let's get that album straight to the top of the charts. Christmas number one, I'm saying, for the Empire Podcast, Marvel Studios, Fanfare Orchestra. Anyway, welcome to the sixth and final spoiler special dedicated to Hawkeye. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Uh, despite being afflicted currently by COVID-19, I have braved the walk from my bedroom to my office uh, <laughs> to sit here and chat about the season finale, possibly series finale, but I'm guessing more likely season finale of the show. And to do so, I'm joined by not one, not two, not three, but four LARPers, all of whom have come dressed as colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara. Hello. That is mighty good Helen O'Hara cosplay, thanks, by the thanks, way. You've, yeah. got, you've got everything yeah, right really down. A particularly unusually underdressed Amon Warman cosplayer has just walked in. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he is wearing a Marvel-themed hoodie, though, so, you know. Yeah. That's pretty on brand. It is on brand. On brand. Good stuff. Uh, the James Dyer cosplayer, or is it a Lobot from the Empire Strikes Back cosplayer, or is it the bloke from the Lives of Others cosplayer? I can't quite make up my mind. What is it? I am cosplaying as a terrible <laughs> cunt. Oh, so it is James. <laughs> I think it's. I, I'm saying I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good outfit. I worked long and hard on this. I think you find it works excellently. And. We've got a Ben Travis cosplayer here as well, but he hasn't got the all-in-one plastic suit that Ben uses to avoid splashes of blood getting on him. But otherwise, the glasses are there, the hair is there, it's all good. Welcome. Yeah, glasses are here, lenses are fake though. That's just, that's oh, just plain. Oh, clever. Very, very clever. <laughs> 
Very clever, folks. Well, welcome all. Welcome all. Uh, I'm kidding. It's, of course, the real deal. It's Helen, Amon, James and Ben. And they're here to discuss what I think might be the best series finale set in 30 Rockefeller Plaza since... Um, oh, the name of that particular show escapes me. But anyway, <laughs> this was a cracker, I think, that, uh, you know... There were no major, I'd say, surprises or revelations in this episode of Hawkeye. Everything was pretty much tied up with a nice, neat Christmassy bow. There weren't that many plot threads or plot holes left dangling or or unfilled. Uh, But the one thing that was filled was my heart, because I thought this was a lovely Christmassy end to what has been an excellent, excellent six-part series. What did you guys think? I thought it was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I agree with everything you say in terms of it was very straightforward. Um, it pretty much went exactly as I thought it was going, going to go going into it. And I did feel the sweetness, my sort of big qualm with this finale. And I guess it's not just with this finale, but with the show entirely, now that, the, now that it is complete, is that that central problem, that central question of Clint's accountability and you know, redemption story. I don't think they did that. Uh, especially well now that the things have now that everything's wrapped up uh, I wanted more a lot more than what they gave me and I'm sure uh, we'll get into more detail on that as this podcast continues how the Amon stole Christmas that's what that was <laughs> you wanted uh, what, do you, what, what do you want do you want do you want do you want blood do you want his blood do you want to, uh, yeah. what, do you, what do you do you want to see him go to the electric chair what, what do you want you, Great you bloodthirsty fiend I just wanted more I mean do, do you want me to get into it now <laughs> No, we'll get no, to it. We'll, we'll get, get to it. We'll it. get into it. We'll get we'll it. Get Jim, to what it. do you think? We'll get to it. I fucking loved it. Uh, it filled me with <laughs> Christmas I, joy. I, this may be a James Dyer cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm out of character for a second there. Yeah, no, this was like a, a big old Christmassy mulled wine. Actually, that's not true because mulled wine is disgusting. What? Uh, it was lovely. Uh, I enjoyed it an awful lot. Uh, I, 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 it was everything I wanted from this episode. It was sort of heartwarming. It was fuzzy. It had excellent Yelena moments, like genuinely excellent Yelena moments. The moment in the elevator might be my favourite thing of this entire series. Um, yeah, I, there's <laughs> nothing. There's nothing about this that nothing. This did. There was nothing here that I wanted that wasn't delivered, except perhaps an extra seat around the table at the end of the episode. But we'll get to that. For Matt Murdock. Yes, for Matt Murdock. <laughs> I really like this one as well. It, it felt very in keeping with the series, right? In that it wasn't kind of a, a total, oh my God, where did that come from? Mind blower. But it was charming and it was funny and the action was great. And I loved, I think for me, sometimes the Christmasiness of this show has sometimes felt a little bit incidental other than the Clint has to get home for Christmas sort of aim but where it went with this finale all the stuff around the tree outside 30 rockefeller plaza felt really linked into what this episode is i I loved all that stuff my main qualm is we'll get to it but the the kingpin stuff went in a way i wasn't expecting or or the way that they seem to have wrapped that up for now uh, it felt quite (laughs) quick to me i'm sure what we thought we saw or what we thought we heard is not exactly what happened, mm-hmm. but I, I think I expected a little bit more from that, and that as a even just an ending for this show, even if they do more, I, I am waiting to see. But generally, apart from that, had a lovely time with it. Yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it too. It was appalling violence to possibly the world's greatest Christmas tree, which naturally upset me <laughs> quite a bit. 
Have you seen the one in Trafalgar Square? Yes. It's shockingly yes, exactly. <laughs> it's really so, like, I say again, arguably the world's best Christmas tree. Yeah, that's so a bad good. combination of bad tree and bad lights. It's really something. Yeah, to be f- clear, you're talking about Trafalgar Square and not the one Trafalgar in Rockefeller Square, yes. Plaza. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah. So I was I was upset, of, of course, by that. But I loved, yes, the Kate and Yelena interaction again. I loved the Kate and Hawkeye stuff. I loved that he called her his partner. Um, I love that he got home for Christmas. I liked a lot of the Kingpin stuff. Uh, I absolutely do not think for a second that a single shot has felled the Kingpin. Please, don't be ridiculous. But I love that you got a sense of how strong he is. I love that he's like shrugging off moves that she has used successfully throughout the series on all sorts of people that she's fought, uh, she being Kate in this case. And and he literally doesn't, like, it doesn't shift him at all. It doesn't shift him an inch. It, it gives him no problems whatsoever. The sort of, you know, the scissor kick around the neck. He's like, yeah, and? Come on. You're not going to mm. lever me by doing that. It's it's crazy. So I yeah. love that kind of stuff. The way too dangerous arrow, he just Shrug kind of shrugs it off. it off. I mean, yeah. that... I have and, questions and, about that, but... And he's sort of dressed in Christmas <laughs> colours. I love that even the kingpin... Has a little bit of Christmas in his heart. Ah, <laughs> uh, I I've got some kingpin comic book knowledge to drop on you. Yeah, please um, drop this on us because in Daredevil, my understanding was he never had superpowers, right? Well, like no, y- yes. Look, this, this is the thing. I I think I'm getting whiplash because I've been rewatching. No whiplash is Mickey Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants him back. I'm sorry. I've got some MCU knowledge to drop on you. <laughs> him and his bird. Um. No, um, because I've been re-watching Daredevil Season 3, uh, which is great. Really enjoying that. And comparing that Wilson Fist to the Wilson Fist we see here, the super strength just has me asking questions, ripping a car door right <laughs> off the hinges, <laughs> shrugging off a point-blank explosion. I mean... I need I need answers yeah. to all of that. He got so, full Jack Reacher yeah, with an arrow. Yeah, he was like, that was exactly yeah. what I thought of as well. Jack Reacher, hundred percent, just stopping an arrow yeah. with his <laughs> chest like, muscle. His but, muscles yeah. just stop but, the arrow but here's in the their thing, tracks. Like, first of all, this isn't necessarily the same Wilson Fisk. We don't know that That's for true. sure. Um, yeah. Second of all, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's meant to have full-on superpowers. I think he's just meant to be extraordinarily strong at this yeah. point. That that's my reading yes. of everything that happens mm-hmm. here. I don't know that it's like he's he doesn't have like Spider Man level no. strength or you know or Hulk, certainly doesn't have Hulk level strength. But my understanding with the Kingpin has always been, and you know, sometimes the way he's portrayed, often the way he's portrayed in the comics, and the way he was portrayed most recently, of course, in Into the Spider Verse, is basically just as a block of human granite. He is this mm-hmm. massive, great, big bulk of a man. He's the Incredible Bulk. And from that, from great bulk comes great power. And he's not someone that you fuck with in that sense, but he's not, you know, if you got him in the Top Trumps cards and if you're playing an MC, you know, Marvel Top Trumps and you got all strength, oh, come on! You'd, you, you know, you'd, you'd lose more often than not, I would say. So the fact that he was punching Kate and throw, knocking her backwards 20 feet just felt a little bit weird to me. But because uh, yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio, for all that he is a big guy isn't that kingpin so that seems like a deliberate escalation of what he's actually capable of yeah no it it would make more sense now if they if feige came out and said that this is not the kingpin from the netflix mcu and this is a kingpin which which has similarities to that kingpin but it's not the same kingpin that that would make more sense to me as an explanation for what we see in that regard but in terms of the comic book knowledge that i got to drop on you in terms of kingpin's fashion 
That is directly from James Robinson and Mark Wade's comic um, called Spider-Man Family Business. The fashion is deliberately, like, directly taken from that. And then the final sort of, you know, uh, confrontation with mm -hmm. Maya, that is directly from uh, a comic called Vision by David Mack and David Ross. And if you listen closely, you actually hear two shots. And those two shots uh, are Maya blinding Kingpin. Uh, so there, there are basically panels uh, which have Maya shooting Kimpin, and then the next panel we see is that Kimpin's got these two um, big old sort of plaster basically over his eyes. So the next time you see Kingpin, expect, expect him to be blind, basically. Temporarily? Uh, that is what Maya did. In the comics? Yes. How, how does, how, I mean, presumably she doesn't shoot him in the eyes, although his eyeballs might shrug off bullets like his chest shrugs off yeah. arrows, I don't know. But, <laughs> but how does this happen? Does she, what, like the muzzle? muzzle flare, it seems like I an guess. odd thing to do with a gun. Close up? I don't know. I'm just looking at the panels right now. There's two shots that ring out. I'm telling you, the next time you see Kingpin, is going to be blind. That much I know for sure. Maybe, maybe. Oh, for sure. That's that's a bold maybe. statement to make. I thought she made a huge tactical error, which was stepping clearly within reach of him, holding mm -hmm. the gun out in yeah. front of her. I mean, she she knows enough yeah. to know that that's stupid as fuck, right? Rookie Come on. Error. Yeah, a few people have written in going, is that the end of the yeah, Kingpin? Of course no, not. of course not. No the way. Yeah, they brought him out just to kill him immediately. <laughs> yeah. If we don't see a dead body on screen, that is like yeah. TV, TV yeah. code speak on. for yeah. he ain't dead. Truth yeah. be told, though, I don't think they should have even shown that confrontation between him and Maya. Uh, you know, and, and they, you know, they should have just left it with the, the cops going, hey, is he, there is no Kingpin here. There was a Kingpin <laughs> here, but ain't no Kingpin no more. How'd you lose a Kingpin, you idiots? And then just cut to, you know, see what, what, you know, and then see what else happens after that. And then, ooh, what happened to Maya? What happened to Kingpin? We'll, we'll find out in a future episode of Echo. The first scene in Echo is going to be picking up at that confrontation, I think. I think that's how I could. You're starts. making bold claims today. You're all about <laughs> you bold are. claims. You no, are. No, 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 I said I think that's how Echo starts. I know for sure that Kingpin is going to be blind. That well, much I know for sure. You don't know for sure. You don't wow. know for sure. You believe it. I know it for sure, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That one you can quote me on. With the, okay. with the opening sequence, I, okay. I think... I predict, I, I got like, I, I'm like 85% sure that that is what it thinks. <laughs> okay, look, that, that noise you hear on the soundtrack is a vehicle reversing very, very fast with one, he's backing up, backing up, he's backing up, backing up. I think that the, they presumably thought that scene was needed to set up whatever the Echo and Kingpin arc is going to be from here on out. They, they obviously thought they had to have some kind of, not closure, but you know, some some actual face-off between the two of them where, where they both know at this mm. point for sure that they're against each other and, and both of them are aware that the other is aware of that, you know? So I think they, they presumably thought it was important, but, um, but yeah, it does feel like very much unfinished business, I guess. And and I think, I don't know that I'm like hyped for an Echo show, but I, I'm more intrigued than no. I was a couple of episodes ago. So I think they've they've done something there to get me to, get me to care about that. Yeah. I'm intrigued, but it's it's one of those things where I think if you if they hadn't announced an Echo show yeah. after and then they announced one after this series, you'd go, really? Re I don't know that we need to really know mm. more about that character. Uh, and whilst I think that uh, Alakwa Cox was was very good, and you know, I I I enjoyed watching Maya's arc. 
she's not the character I came away thinking about, and she's not the character I came away raving about and wanting to see more of. Uh, and hopefully, Echo will will be uh, you know knocking yeah. it out of the park. But yeah, yeah, for me, it's it seems wildly inessential. I have to say, Echo wise, I did not buy the Kazi confrontation, and that isn't because no. she had a bad curry the night before or anything like that. I mean that literally, <laughs> when she has the fight with Kazi, it just made no that it didn't work for me because he clearly has a deep connection with her and then he tries to stab her with an arrow it's just like really i just no i understand they needed to kill him off but no i love the fact that he had a deep connection with her my issue with that and i think the reason why it didn't fully land we hadn't seen enough of maya and kazi's friendship on screen for that moment to really fully impact us like it, it, it takes place sort of either concurrently or sort of right next to the Yelena Clint stuff and that stuff landed much more deeply not only because we get that connection but obviously there's the, there's the Clint Natasha of it all as well that comes through we haven't really we've had a couple of scenes with Kazi and Maya but we haven't really had enough for that moment to be fully heartbreaking um, and in regards to the Echo show I fully agree um, but as you know me and Chris have been uh, messaging uh, I think that that was going to be a big part of the Echo show and while people may not be that hyped for Maya right now. People are very hyped for Daredevil, mm. especially. Well, no. Yeah, <laughs> people are very hyped for Daredevil, and people will come for that character. So I think that will help that show out. Also, I think if there's something yeah. we can take away from this is that the shows that you maybe think you're not that asked about actually mm. end up being pretty great. Like yeah. as as much as. Mm. Um, there's always a big draw with, say, a Loki show. That was a show that we all thought wasn't going to connect to anything and it was just going to be like fun Loki adventures and yeah, sure, I'll see more Tom Hiddleston, I guess. And this show, if there was anything I was like not that excited for, it was six hours of Hawkeye and here we are. This has been a blast. And Alacra Cox, I think, has actually been really great through this series in the moments that she's had. That episode where she first came in and we saw a bit of her backstory and the beef that she had with the Ronin that all really worked for me. I thought she was great. Mm-hmm. It's just, of, of course, you're not going to come away from this show mainly thinking, yes, more Echo, because there was so much other stuff going on and the Kate stuff was great and the Clint stuff was great. But I think even though her Echo storyline kind of occupied a smaller space in the show, I think what she had was very good. So I'm I'm, I'm actually really intrigued to see more. I, I thought when they first announced it, I was like, I, okay, there's a show for a character we don't really know anything about. Now I will happily see more of her and trust Feige that they will come up with something that will feel kind of indispensable. I have to say, you mentioned they're not looking forward to Hawkeye. There was a moment in this where I almost did a full reverse ferret on Hawkeye as an Avenger, where, you know, obviously I have historically said, quite rightly, I think, that he is not like the others in that he's just like a dude with a bow and arrow and that makes no sense at all. However, I really enjoyed when Kate's talking about aliens invaded New York, she felt really helpless and the way she says, even though you don't have superpowers, you were fighting aliens with a stick and a string. And I just thought there is something in, she said, even though you couldn't fly, you jumped off a building. And I was like, do you know what? She's absolutely right. There is something where Clint has fucking brass balls the fact he took on the chitauri with no superpowers and a bow and arrow it's fine for the hulk it's fine for thor who's basically a god like whatever he is a you god know, t- t- <laughs> yeah, exactly tony stark is in his fucking iron suit like hawkeye has a bow and arrow so i'm saying actually he has more balls than all we've the others been put together. saying Fair he's good <laughs> we've been telling you he's good See, why did you have- <laughs> 
I still don't think he's a particularly large asset to the team, they, but I respect they his moxie. only win when he is fighting with them. They only yes, win he's when the he's mascot. with them. I know. Oh, just stop. He's stop. the Alan Tudyk of the Avengers. I feel like I'm in one of those infinite loop situations. <laughs> sure we've had this conversation before when did we last have this conversation oh i remember every single fucking episode of the show that's when we had this conversation should we yeah. talk about something else uh Shall other than yay I, I just want to add to um james's point because i i really do love that scene uh and that uh dialogue that kate has pretending to clint um in the battle of new york and i love that we get that scene and that revelation then or, or that discussion then because kate could have easily revealed that to clint during the course of her fangirling at any point earlier in the series. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't mm-hmm. have had as much weight as it does in that moment yeah. when she's about to go into the biggest battle of her life, when Clint is asking her if she's ready. And the fact that she then chose to reveal that this is why, this is how, this is why I'm doing this. You inspired me to do this. This is how you did it in that moment really made it more impactful. I really love that. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it touches him quite a lot as well. I think he's, I think he's a bit more wounded and um, screwed up by his own actions. Not saying, not you know, taking away his his responsibility, Amon. But um, but I think he's more wounded, more screwed up than he he perhaps admits on the surface. And I think a lot of his discomfort with people treating him as a hero comes from that, as we've discussed in previous episodes. But I think that kind of sincere, you know, expression of someone who was inspired by him, I think, is is a little moment of grace for him. It's a little moment of, of redemption for him. And I think it's it's really, really nicely played in that sense as well. Hmm. Shall we talk then, let's go from that into, let's get the accountability thing out of the way. Oh and before we, before we get into it properly, I want to ask you, Helen, as a trained barista, I want to ask you about Clint and Kate's legal responsibility and accountability for what mm-hmm. happens to the guys in the shrunken Truster Bro fan. Right, yeah, so yeah. they mm-hmm. they shrink the Truster Bro fan with the yeah, Pym arrow. Uh, yeah. It becomes a basically like a Tonka toy and then gets picked mm-hmm. up by that, that superb owl and uh, who flies presumably off. taken to Hogwarts. Ilvermorny in the US. <laughs> yeah. And that owl is going to peck that fan open and eat those guys alive. Now, are Clint and Kate, who previously to this have as mm-hmm. far as I can see, anyway, just straight up murdered a whole bunch of dudes anyway with a bow <laughs> yeah, and arrow. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Have they, are they culpable for this in any way, yes. shape or form? Are, yes. Is mens rea in work here? What What is happening with this? And yes. again, I'm trapped in one of those infinite time loop situations. <laughs> yes. We've had this conversation before, but how does it apply to this? Yeah, no, mens rea is not a massive uh, factor here. They were okay. engaged in actually probably criminal activities, but certainly they were reckless as to the, the you know, the, the, harm caused to these people at best if they did not actively intend them harm. Therefore, mens rea is not an issue. Uh, actus reus, I mean, the law isn't terribly well equipped to, equipped to deal with people being shrunk to the size of ants <laughs> and then eaten by owls. There's not a lot of case law on that. Uh, I believe that's true of the US as well as the UK. But uh, at the same time, I think there is a clear chain of causality, if you will, um, mm. between Clint and Kate's Object. actions and the sad <laughs> death of the people at the hands or talons of the owl. Mm. Um, so, so yes, they are culpable for those deaths as well as all of the other deaths. The owl, of course, by the way, is a really shit daredevil villain. Uh, so I wonder if this is another bit of a that owl, bit of a tie-in. Owl that was like the MVP of this episode for me. I love the moment. No, it's the MCU bit. <laughs> the Who? Clint. 
Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> nice. This owl banter, what a hoot. <laughs> All I was going to say was that it was a good owl. It was a cute owl. He was in the tree. There was an owl. I was like, I love that they've taken the time yeah. to put an owl in this tree. And in among everything else happening in the finale, we've got Clint in the tree mm-hmm. looking at an owl. That's great. And obviously it was Chekhov's <laughs> owl and they brought the owl back. But And they brought yes. the owl back. Yes. Uh, All I could think owl. of when seeing that owl was Chris's microwave joke and I just couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> Not my microwave joke. Not my microwave joke. I don't think. I think I cut it out of the podcast. Uh, but Did anyway, there was, yeah, there was a guy. There was a guy on Twitter uh, a few years ago. One of the funniest jokes I've ever heard on Twitter was the worst thing about putting an owl in a microwave is they maintain eye contact throughout, and that is as a killer gag, an absolutely killer gag. Loved it. Loved the owl. Loved everything. Loved the owl carrying the tiny men away, and then also the little little shrieks of little men. In you know, we we've always thought that that's what Scott Lang would sound like when he shrinks down mm-hmm. to ant size. Beep, 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 beep. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was fun. And, uh, you know, I also noticed in this episode that Jeremy Renner's got a fine head of hair for a man his age. Do you think it's his own hair or is he wearing a head wig? Ooh. Wow. Because <laughs> head wig's the name of the owl in yes. Harry Potter. Yes, yes. We anyway, understood. Clint's killed a whole bunch of dudes and it's just gone yeah. off with a scarf free. Chris, when you were like, oh, I want to talk about the legal ramifications, I immediately didn't think of the murders. <laughs> I thought of knocking the tree over and if they'd have to pay damages for the big tree. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, well, I mean, that's another, a yeah. whole other criminal mess damages. because that's a civil case so, as well as potential criminal damages. No, look, genuinely, I, I think there are... This is true of every single superhero film and ev- pretty much every action film. There is a question as to what rights the hero ever has to do basically anything. Now, some of them are officially deputised agents of the government, but usually they go beyond their powers. These guys, we can assume some kind of quasi-agency. You know, the NYPD probably isn't going to persecute an Avenger, given how New York apparently feels about the Avengers, judging by that dreadful song. You know, so they're they're probably going to get away with it, but their their legal yeah their legal liability is is all over the place. And and actually, The Incredibles is the only superhero movie that really seriously deals with the likely legal fallout of being a superhero. Now, of course, the Sokovia Accords were in place pre-snap and now I'm saying that they're probably not that they've been given a, a waiver so Clint is responsible for all kinds or he's not responsible but he's he's certainly on this the scene when all kinds of this death and destruction happens and let's be generous for a second here and uh, and say that he and Kate don't kill any of the tracksuit mafia uh, and that they're all just hurt some lightly maimed at best should we should we say that but you know he is responsible for a lot of lot of uh, destruction in this episode. I'm going to say that after he and his mates saved the world, that uh, they were given basically a get out of jail free card for life, impunity. You know, you can get freedom of a city, and then it allows you to just kill people at <laughs> random. Hang on, wow. or, so is you know, not the crime equivalent of a, like a Nando's black card? You know, it's like diplomatic immunity. Right, Big, so it's like Joss. It's like Joss Ackland in *Lethal Weapon* two. He can do whatever he wants, and Clint is exactly like that. Although it's not. I still hold that the Sokovia Accords would have nothing to do with Clint anyway, because he is not in any way an enhanced individual. He's just a bloke with a stick and a string. 
and so the regular law applies. I don't think the Sokovia Accords apply. I don't think well, it, they're, oh, they're they are described <laughs> as legal documentation regulating the activities of enhanced individuals, specifically right, those who work for either government agencies <laughs> such as Shield or for private organisations such as the Avengers. Even if just kind of know. the paperwork allows it i think the goodwill of the people maybe is very quickly going to go if he was like oh you kind of trash this city while fighting aliens but this time it's like well there were these guys in tracksuits right and (laughs) 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 battling with this girl's mum and some and people are like, what that's not avengers i need to get home for christmas Christmas. there was a whole thing there was an owl and so I destroyed the tree and killed a bunch of people. I think that very quickly um, would would maybe turn people against Hawkeye in a wider yeah, sense. Possibly. Um, yeah, yeah. Before we get into it properly, uh, I know we're getting to listener questions later on in the show, but someone did write in, and I had this thought when I watched the episode, especially for the second time, which is that an awful lot of mayhem happens in 30 Rock, or in and around 30 Rock, mm. for ages. Like, people are being killed and flattened by trees and all sorts of stuff left right and center and jack and we need to talk about him because what the fuck is going on with jack <laughs> jack is like merrily going around <laughs> chopping people up with a sword it's just it's, it's incredible to watch but the cops don't show up for ages and i was thinking why don't the cops show up for ages and i was thinking ah the kingpin the kingpin owns the city and clearly he's had the call go out to the cops so to give the tracksuit mafia impunity as they destroy 30 rockefeller plaza that's because the response time is frankly shocking there's got to be some kind of some kind of sort of larger diddle going on here but yeah but anyway so the point that amon wants to make is about clint's accountability and i read an excellent review of this episode by kirsten howard she's at emotional pedant on twitter and she was saying something i think maybe you're going to say something along the similar lines which is which is Marvel has an accountability problem full stop. If you look at it, you know, a lot of the heroes commit borderline atrocities and get away with a scot-free, pretty much. Wanda, look at what she did in Westview. She gets away with it, Bucky and his crimes, mens rea notwithstanding. Then, of course, you have Shang-Chi, who, you know, kills a guy in cold blood as a kid and doesn't go to prison. Uh, so there's a widespread issue here. And then you have, at the end of this episode, Kate basically punishes her mum for her crimes and dobs her into the cops and then merrily goes, ha ha ha, and then walks off into the sunset with Clint, <laughs> who has killed way more people in way worse ways. That's definitely part of it. And just uh, before I go into that, some of the stuff that you're saying um, about the final battle, which, you know, I enjoyed all the trick hour stuff was great. Um, but even then, it's kind of messy because on the one hand, it feels like they're making an effort to not kill anybody. They have a couple of arrows where they shoot it and then a whole lot of trank arrows come out of it. And I really love that. They did that a couple, they did that a couple of times and it's great. Yeah. Then they have actual proper arrows which look like they're killing people <laughs> at the same time. So what sort of message are you trying to say? What are you trying to do with that? But in regards to the accountability redemption conversation, I was talking more about his time as Vernon, which as I said in like the very first episode that we did, that was like one of my... That was my deep conflict with this entire show because on the one hand, you got all the fun, trick out, Kate, Clint, mental, mentee stuff, which I'm enjoying, but you do have to deal with Clint and his endgame arc and what that did for the character. And when I look at now that the show, this season has been completed, I'm looking at what they did with that and I'm like, that is not enough. To, to recap, the only thing they did, they, they had that big conversation, I think, in episode four. And then and that, and that was where Clint said, we, we, all, we all dealt with a blip in our own way. 
that is it in terms of explanation <laughs> that we get. And then, and then in episode five, when he's fighting Maya, he has that, you know, speech where he's like, you know, we're, we're both weapons. We both got manipulated. Kingpin sort of, you know, turned me into this. Not an apology for killing her father. Nothing about that. I don't, I think it would have rung hollow. I don't think he wanted, he wasn't yeah. apologizing because he's, I, I, he I don't is know what he how is. how they approached that, but yeah. like, that's still, that, that's all we, that's all we get. And then, you know, the whole burning off the Vernon suit at the end. Okay. Does that mean like, does that mean that nothing sort of that happened then? I don't think any of this is meant to th- say that he doesn't feel guilt or he doesn't feel remorse. I get that. I, I get that he absolutely does. And I love that he's self-aware to that. But at the same time, you got Yelena having that great conversation with Kate being right on the money about Ronan's actions. And that apparently has no impact on Kate because she doesn't then take that back to Clinton and say, look, we actually have to have a talk about what you did as Ronan. He was a professional killer before he became Ronan. That was literally his job before he became an Avenger. So, And that was coming from Yelena, who is also currently yeah, a, also professional a professional killer. killer. Natasha, also a professional killer. <laughs> what, 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 what part of what he did as Ronan are you bumping up against? Because he was a, uh, a, a vigilante. Obviously, that's bad. We, yeah. we don't well. condone vigilanteism at the Emperor Podcast. Wink, wink. Uh, nudge, nudge. Nudge, nudge, nudge. No, you know no, what I mean? no wink. No, 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 no wink. No, no. no wink. No, okay, no okay. wink. Yeah, we're covering ourselves from a legal perspective. Very clever, Helen. Smart, we Helen. Absolutely Smart. Stop fingers winking crossed, at me. Fingers Stop crossed, winking. Fingers crossed. Wink, wink. We do not condone vigilanteism <laughs> oh, unless it's really cool on the Empire Podcast. <laughs> exactly. All right? Okay, that's good. I think we've covered ourselves there, legally speaking. What what part of what he did? Because he was a he was a you know I'm not going to excuse the fact he was in pain, emotional pain. Because we've all been in emotional pain. I haven't gone on a global crime spree as a result. I mean, but as I said on a previous episode, they were all bad people, and they all deserved what they got, and they all got what was coming to them. And I think that's totally fine. And again, we've covered ourselves legally here on the Empire no, Podcast. No, we haven't. Of course. <laughs> is, this, is this because you're still sore about what Zack Snyder did to Batman and Superman? Is this where this no. is coming from? <laughs> Hawkeye doesn't have a no-kill rule, though. It's He's true. Like, that's he, the, he, doesn't, he, has he doesn't have a one rule. kill rule. <laughs> but it f- still feels like we need they needed to address that more than they did. It felt like they were sort of dancing around it a lot. They didn't fully get into it. I, I, I feel... Especially, and I mentioned it, like, Yelena does have that conversation with Kate, and she is on the money about everything Yelena says in that conversation about Ronan, about Clint, mm. is 100% true. But Kate, and I sort of partly love this about her, that she's so sort of fangirling out about Ronan, about sort of Clint, and about Hawkeye, and I get it, I mean, she has that great speech we were talking about in, in, in this episode. But the fact that she just takes that information in and does nothing with it whatsoever. It's just But no, but that's but that's her compassion and her empathy. But also she then went on and killed like a dozen, two dozen tracksuits. So it's like let she who is without sin cast the first arrow. I don't really think she had a leg to stand on. As well, Hawkeye is like, I need to let the Ronin thing go, I need to move past that. I I killed a bunch of people. And then in this episode he's like, I'm gonna make the most brutal arrows anyone's ever seen. This one has loads of tiny <laughs> arrows and it's gonna fling around and everyone's <laughs> gonna get stabbed all these tiny arrows, and this one's gonna blow people up, and this one one's actually just a big like bouncy ball that was quite fun but he just makes the like most brutal he goes full kevin McAllister with his homemade yeah. weapons yeah. <laughs> i will say you know with you know even though i got issues as i just outlined the coolest one of the coolest moments in the in this episode um is when kazi comes back on the scene and yes. takes two arrows 
fires one, fires another to split the first arrow that goes is it's like nice shot. It's like, yeah, I got, I know, of course it was. Yeah, like, no shit. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, uh, that was great. I love that. So, that was something, of course, that he set up in, in the Clinton Cage Drunken yeah. Christmas celebrations where he was like, no, I've done it loads of times. And she's like, that's an impossible shot. Like, no, no, it's easy. <laughs> it's a wooden one so you can split it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, I love that bit. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a conversation I think that would be had in a much darker show. And I think ultimately yes. this show has flirted with things like that. And listen, I think Renner's been really, really great all the way through this. Uh, I agree. He, he mumbles a bit much. I think he could enunciate better. I think if I were <laughs> if I were critiquing him as a as an act, uh, acting coach, but you know all he's right, done pretty matters. well without my input so far. But I'm just saying, <laughs> Jeremy, if you listen to this, this is perhaps why your app failed. Is all I'm going to say. <gasps> Wow. Look, someone has to sit him down. Reality check here. Your app failed because you don't enunciate Your correctly. app failed because it was basically just Facebook with no other people on it. <laughs> it was Facebook, but if it was just Jeremy Renner. That's not, that's not an app. That's not a social media network. Jeremy, it put the app in crap. Uh, I'm going to be completely oh, honest with you. Wow. But anyway. The point about uh, Renner is he's been great all the way through this, and at times, you know, he's flirted with the darkness that is raging within Clint's soul. I guess there's that lovely moment with Nate in episode three where he can't understand what Nate is saying. You can see it's heartbreaking live on camera. There's the moment where he reveals to Kate that he is indeed Ronan, and obviously in the the uh, the speech he gives to the plaque and the ghost of Natasha ghost of Natasha in the previous episode that's all there and it's all under the surface and I think if this had been a Falcon and a Winter Soldier style uh, show in terms of its tone uh, or or Daredevil season 3 then we might have really dug into that uh, and that sense of guilt I, I think with that whole thing it's like his his redemption came in Endgame he helped save the world and bring half of all life in this universe back. That is his redemption. This was just him dealing with the fallout, with his own bits of guilt, and also with the dangling threads that that leaves. I don't think he needs to earn more redemption. He he, he already did that, guys. We saw it in Endgame. Dangling threads? Too soon, man. And Natasha isn't oh. dead that long. Wow. Oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. The the interesting thing in terms of his redemption here is like one one of the things I've sort of said in the past is maybe he went off around the world not because he thought it was uh, more important to deal with everyone else's criminals first, but because he literally killed all of them in the US, um, <laughs> and that was the only way that it squared it for me in terms of why he was off in in Mexico and Japan and wherever. Um, it, the fact that the kingpin appears not to have been blipped. Is therefore troubling to me because it is. It appears that he he decided not to go for the kingpin. That he knew he knows who he is. He knows what he is. He didn't take him down. So that's a little bit of a disappointment for me. I thought I, in my head I, the kingpin was blipped, but it kind of feels like from everything that um, Kate's mum says that he was still around and she was still around. So now James thinks Hawkeye is the best Avenger and Helen has beef with Hawkeye? What world are we living in? This is I tell you, it's cosplay. I'm actually Helen and she's actually it's James. True, That's it's what true. This is. I'm loving the I'm loving the wig. <laughs> Black is white, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. It's it's absolutely uh, but yeah, but we don't know Helen that he wasn't going to 
tackle Kingpin True. and then Nat shows up in Japan and that sets him back on the path on the straight and narrow Maybe he again. has sort of worldwide informants and, you know, went when he saw an opportunity to clear out, you know, the entire criminal syndicate of a certain city or something when they got together, you know. Well, he might have been following someone who fled the US and went to Japan. Possible. He was like, oh, fuck me, I'm coming after you. Or, or he was doing that classic thing where if you combine work and travel, do it. Sure. Yeah. If you can get the air miles, fantastic. You're here for business or pleasure, sir? A bit of both. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. If you know what I mean, I'm here to kill Please someone. Please stop winking. Please stop I mean. winking. No more winking. Oh, sorry. I'm starting to think that nudge and wink are Chris and James's uh, uh, vigilante <laughs> alter egos. <laughs> yeah. I'm nudge, he's wink, we're a double act. <laughs> oh, dear. Can we talk about the best scene in the entire We've show? We've talked about the owl yes. already, James. We've talked about which the is, owl. Which is, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the lift scene, the lift scene, which is just glorious, because I genuinely, I, I, Yelena is fast becoming my favourite character in, in really anything <laughs> at the moment. And the interplay she has with Kate is so unbelievably delightful. And just and I actually rewound this and watched it about four times. It's when they're in the lift and she looks at the thing and you know what she's thinking because you're yeah. thinking the same thing. And Yelena's thinking the same thing. And she goes, no. <laughs> she stops the movie. No. <laughs> and it's, it's, and the expression on Hayley Steinfeld's face when she goes, no, and sort of slaps her hand away. And she does that like, oh, kind of face. <laughs> and then when she presses all the buttons, it's just like, that is so annoying. <laughs> I, I loved it so much. I thought that was the most real it's ever been. I also quite enjoyed the little, you know, martial arty stuff they did in the, in the lift too. Mm. The little martial arty <laughs> stuff. The little martial arty stuff, which is, I believe, as it was written on the- People uh, have dedicated yeah. their entire lives to mastering fight choreography only if you dismiss it as the martial arty stuff. And while we're talking about the martial arty stuff, uh, props to returning director Reese Thomas, who directed this episode after directing episodes one and two, and then Burton Birdie took over for episodes three, four, and five. And I thought he handled the action really, really well here. He has a comedic background, and and yes, obviously second unit will do an awful lot of stuff. Heidi Moneymaker, who was, of course, at one point the stunt double for Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. She was the second unit director on this show, and some of the action is fantastic. The Kate and Clint versus the tracksuit mafia scene on the ice, that extended sequence, the shenanigans with the tree. But for me, even though I don't think all the edits quite matched, that lovely tracking shot that followed the fight between Kate and Yelena as they as they ran through the office complex of 30 Rock, I thought that was absolutely terrific. So so props to Reese Thomas and Heidi Moneymaker and everybody involved with the action team. I got a lot of we're still friends, right? Depends on how hard you mm-hmm. hit me. Energy, yeah. energy from that. <laughs> yeah. Because when she slaps her, it's like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. Which is ironic because that exchange is from Hawkeye and Black Widow in Civil War. And these yeah. are the people who will be taking over mm-hmm. those monikers very soon. Um, so yeah, I love that we're getting the, the beginnings of their lifelong friendship, you I'm assume. sure. You uh, assume. On the show. You assume. <laughs> I put my foot down home. That is what is happening right now calling it <laughs> i've seen a lot of people calling this i kind of hope they don't i, really? I find, Why? find your own identities find your own names don't don't just take on the uh, the names of people you know of of great characters in the past uh i just think you know that yelena that yelena should have a different name uh and that uh and, and i know at the end of this episode 
Uh, yeah. Perhaps the end of the season is is leaning heavily towards Clint going. I've got a good idea. Why don't you call yourself Hawkeye? And I'm yes. sure that's what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. and mainly because Lady Hawk is a terrible fucking name. As is Hawk Eve and <laughs> Hawk Shot. Yeah, all Lady names. Arrow. Lady, oh, Lady Arrow's pretty good actually. What do you guys think? I mean, do you think that you know that you know, taking on those mantles? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, because yeah. especially, I mean, in 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 this case you know that it would mean so much to Kate for Clint to, you know, give her that sort of identity, that, that, that moniker. And you know that it would mean a lot to Yelena as well, given her relationship with her t- sister, for her to take on that moniker. I think, I think knowing the history behind it, I absolutely want that to happen. Well, it's not really a moniker, is it? She literally is a Black Widow, so. That's true. Yeah. I think there should be the White Russian and Gate Bishop, one word. <laughs> I think they, they should be nudging wink, don't you think? Oh, <laughs> nudge, wink, echo. It's a whole thing. It's a party. Everyone get involved. Yeah. They, are, they are so Absolutely. much fun together. They're going to stick a massive pim arrow in you, Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Nudge, nudge, oh boy, wink, indeed. wink. Say no more. Say no more, Squire. Yeah, I loved all that stuff. I thought it was really terrific, the interplay between them. The, the, um, uh, I, I texted you guys the other day, even before I saw this episode, I went, I don't think a single character in the MCU leaves scenes uh, as dramatically <laughs> as Yelena Belova. Like, every scene she's in, in Hawkeye, she's diving out a window backwards or, well, well actually always diving out a window. But the way she does it is, is so much fun. But I love that, that exchange, not just in the lift, where, you know, Kate manages to slap her and she finally does slap all the numbers on the on the uh, on the lift panel which I have done in real life and is a hoot um, <laughs> <laughs> I just say, so much fun um, I also love the confrontation between them or the exchange between them just before Yelena dives at the window where <laughs> yeah. she goes and they're talking about their fight together and she's like well you did that really cool body throw thing and and uh, and Kate's like oh yeah I did actually hey stop making me like you and I thought that was just a perfect summary of and, their and dynamic. And also the contrast between them going out the window so Yelena you know puts puts the spike in the floor just leaps for it runs down the side of the building cool as if she's running along the sidewalk and then Kate tries to follow out the window and is extremely hesitant rightfully wary kind of like trying to find her footing D- does it successfully does it but that that contrast I thought was, was such a good character note more or less I mean she survives right so more it's less. fine it's falling yeah. with it's style yeah yes yeah, that's yeah. Exactly what landing you can walk away from exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I also like that in that moment, you know, it brings Kate, it completes her arc, really. We first meet her on the roof of, you know, her university doing that thing with the the bell tower back in episode one, you know, mm. thinking that that is what it needs to be a hero. That is what it takes to be a hero. And it absolutely isn't. And it's just shenanigans, just wanton destruction. And now here she is doing something truly, truly heroic. And of course, soon afterwards, all kinds of destruction with the tree as well. Uh, so I thought it was just a, a lovely way of of completing her journey from yeah. fangirl yeah. to full-blown superhero. <laughs> no, she's definitely the best thing about this show for me. Oh, she's that so good. and the trick arrows. Love me some trick arrows. Yelena <laughs> might actually, for, even though she has far, far, far less screen, screen time, she may be my favourite thing in this, but they're almost, let's say they're tied. We'll tie them. They're tied. <laughs> yeah. Can I give props to Helen for pegging the fact that Laura was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent from the beginning. Well done, Helen. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, which welcome. she clearly agent was. Agent 19, Mockingbird. Very cool. <laughs> oh, is this is this something I don't know? Tell me about this, Amon. Is that yes. what that refers to? 
that is what it refers to. Mockingbird was actually a character in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. um, but obviously that is now definitely not canon. Um, so this is the MCU's version of Mockingbird. I really, really like this development. I hope that we get more details and flashbacks in the whole bit because Linda Cardellini deserves. Um, I've always liked her in the MCU uh, and I've always wanted more from her, more from that character. So this would be a good way into it, I think. I did, I did think that the... The the watch thing was, uh, you know, one was expecting slightly more, but I guess it does kind of make sense. So the tracksuit mafia were, were originally sent to the underground auction to get the watch because it had clues to her identity, right? Which they thought was connected to Ronin. Did they figure that out that early? Why did they want the watch? It's unclear. I'm still trying to figure out that why why was the watch in the Avengers compound in the first place i guess maybe okay here's my thinking there that it was something of hers a small personal thing that he could carry around when she blipped so maybe because he's like maybe you should take better care of your stuff and then she's like you should talk so that was the thing that had me even more confused like did she place it there at some point? I don't yeah. know. I, 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 I think it's meant to have been just something he had. Hey, as a me- maybe as a they had a cheeky workplace shag and she forgot wow. to put it back on and <laughs> wow. it got left behind. That said, For five if years. someone finds it, I don't know quite how it points to her. No, but it did seem to on the basis that it did seem to on the basis that Echo had the watch sitting right next to the little list of his family Mm. members. So unless there's something we didn't see where it opens up and has names and dates of birth on it, I don't know. I mean, it's a a S.H.I.E.L.D. issue watch, so Mm. it's maybe going to have some encrypted files on there or something that they were slowly hacking. I think the, yeah, the watch was, uh, I I think, a fairly unsatisfactory MacGuffin in the end. I mm. thought they'd forgotten about it right, into, yeah, uh, right so until the very end. Mm. Uh, and I think there are a couple of things in this episode that maybe suggest that there was some minor tinkering going on in the edit suite. There is you know, the whole Kazi-Maya confrontation is stricken by the dread hand of ADR. I, you know, He says an awful lot of stuff off camera <laughs> in, in that mm-hmm. confrontation. Yeah. Uh, I think they were desperately trying to make that fit. Uh, I think they gave up on trying to justify Jack's arc in this episode and just let him loose. <laughs> I, we should definitely talk about that. But I also think the watch just feels like something that they mm-hmm. couldn't quite square the circle with that one, I think. And and just ultimately just went, yeah, it's fine. It's hey, a watch. Rolexes are expensive, people. That is an expensive watch. Rolexes are expensive. Mm-hmm. Weren't they at the auction, though, to get the Ronin suit? No. Or was it specifically the watch? It's specifically no, it's a watch. watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Maybe it all will be revealed in season <laughs> two. <laughs> or maybe we'll have a situation where they're now going to announce that Kate Bishop will lead Hawkeye season two. Although I'd love to see her on the big screen. I feel like I we think will. it's only a matter of time yeah. before that happens. Yeah, we will. Yeah. yeah. Whilst Jeremy Renner and Linda Cardellini will top line their own show, The Amazing Adventures of Clint and Laura. And listen, I would watch a cooking show with those two, <laughs> just at their lovely, their lovely farmhouse. Uh, you know, just just doing domestic chores that'd be tremendous. But perhaps there'll be kick-ass spies going around the world. Apologise for all the people that he killed. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Uh, but yes, anything else you want to talk about? How, who haven't who haven't we talked about? And what haven't we talked about? We haven't talked about Christoph Beck. Oh, here he goes. Oh, here here he go. goes. Here I feel like I'm in, if you I feel like I'm in an infinite time loop <laughs> situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a man. I've come to bargain and talk about composers in the MCU. <laughs> 
Uh, that was me doing my uh, time stone sound effect. Um, <laughs> wow. But uh, <laughs> why does it sound like countdown? Great show. Great show. Christoph Beck did the score for this. I think he did a fantastic job. Um, he, again, uses the Yelena theme from Black Widow, but he deploys it in a very different way. Especially in that Yelena Clint conversation, it's like calibrated for maximum sadness. And he absolutely works. I also uh, just love how he merges in his own Hawkeye theme, which is really great, with classic Christmas songs. He does that a lot throughout the series. A lot of Nutcracker one- here. Yes, yes. There's, I think that happens in the scene where Clint and Kate are making the trick arrows, which is so great. One of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in, the, in this episode. Uh, so yeah, kudos to Christoph Beck. This is like his third Marvel thing he did. No, fourth Marvel thing, because he did both Ant-Man's and WandaVision, and now he did this as well. Uh, so yeah, good job. We should also point out he has a co-composer, Michael Paraskevis, who also did a good job. And I've got to make a playlist of all the good yeah, Christmas songs. Really good ones. And of course, the post credit scene, which is Save the City in its entirety. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. I, oh, boy. Here's my thinking. Like, it, it, when we're thinking about how much story they have to fit into that musical, I don't think they have time for like a verse and a half from random New Yorkers. That's what I was thinking as well. Right? I mean, I was like, this, is a, lot of, this is a lot of stage time for people who aren't Avengers. Come on, people. Let's move mm-hmm. along, you know. But they live yeah. through the 80s and this too shall pass. Like, it's <laughs> it was funny. extraordinary. And, do you know, I think I think it actually does probably uh, speak to a tendency of some Broadway musicals to pander to New York audience a little bit. So I think that there is a yeah. clever kind of commentary there, but... Um, but yeah, it's it's it goes on for a really long time. It's it so does cringe. go on for a long time, unlike any other musicals this year. But I think I think we can oh. all agree this is the best musical production <laughs> of 2022. Certainly James. the uh, most mercifully short. So that was uh, you that are was crazy nice. talking. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have questions about how quickly Rogers the musical was thrown together, and I know that we spent a long time mm. in a previous episode talking about the the origins of, of Rogers musical. And I, I, and I, I know I said I was working on a, on a song list for it, but you know, guys, I've been, I've been sick, so I haven't had a chance to, to finish it, but maybe for Hawkeye season two, who knows? But I have questions about this, right? Because mm-hmm. traditionally that's assumed for a second that Rogers, the musical has, is a tribute to Steve Rogers, whom the world believes to be either dead or have disappeared, or have at least given his life to save the save the universe. Right? Mm-hmm. Not many people know that Steve Rogers is alive. Is what is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So this musical seems to have been. It's not an Avengers musical. It's a specific Rogers musical. So it seems to have been a reaction to the events of Avengers Endgame. Now this is Christmas. I'm going to say 2023 because we haven't been told anything otherwise, mm-hmm. that would indicate that, say, if Endgame takes place, let's say it takes place roughly around the same time as released, so May 2023, mm. that means that this musical was conceived, funded, written, workshopped, staged, and brought to the Broadway stage in less than seven months. Now, you might argue that the song reflects that <laughs> but i have questions about it, and that's the yeah. thing that really took me out of the show if i'm honest with you it's, it's it, it is a real real question i i do agree that the timeline seems you know unlikely here's my thinking maybe it was in development in some stage of development 
during the blip. Like maybe somebody came to Steve Rogers and said, look, we'd like to do something inspirational. We're thinking a musical about your life. You know, but just- he's on the run. He's on the run during, during the this blip, point, isn't he? Or during the blip? During the oh, blip. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and yeah. They, they start putting something together and they're, they're starting, you know, they probably had kind of a downbeat ending at that point, but they had some, hmm. they, they started to do something and and then just finished up with a with a triumphant finale, which suddenly gets them a lot of attention from producers because they're now able to go and say, hey, this ends with Steve Rogers saving half the universe and producers are like, mm-hmm. take our money <laughs> and 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 it all gets put together pretty fast at that point. I don't know. Because how long did it take Lenny Manny to do Hamilton? Right, it, it took him years to write that. Like six thing. years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, about that. six, seven years. Which is about as long as the show is. <laughs> but, oh come on! It's about as long as we podcast <laughs> about it. It's about yeah. It's, a, it's as long as our podcast is on the subject. So hey, this is an important piece of art that we're doing here. Okay, I I I'm with Helen. I think they. His life story is crazy. He was born in what the 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 twenties, the thirties. He lived through the forties. Then mm. he was frozen in ice, and then he was in New York, and and all the other stuff that was happening. I think there's a lot of material before you even get to Endgame. Uh, but I would like to point out, in I'm so glad we got the full version of this. Obviously, they put the full <laughs> song out after the first episode of Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even when I interviewed Mark Shaman and uh, Scott Whitman for the magazine which is out now or will be tomorrow <laughs> but you'll have heard this by then it's out now uh they didn't say that they had filmed the full thing and and but mark shaman did say i said oh, were you there you wrote the song but were you there when they filmed the sequence and he was like oh i i was able to go because of covid stuff uh, scott couldn't go because of covid things uh, so yeah, I, I was there. It was amazing to see it. He didn't say, I'm in it. I'm in the sequence. He is the one <laughs> conducting them. So there's you get quite a few yeah. um, shots of somebody conducting that sequence. And that is Mark Shaman, who co-wrote the number. Hmm. I kind of expected that. I kept thinking this was going to be a normal post-credit sting. So even though we were getting the full number, you know, they cut to the audience a few times. And I thought there's going to be somebody there that's going to be like, yeah. oh. You know, I was expecting the wow moment, and instead we got a, a very—I I just the cringe that just by contact <laughs> with having seen the Avengers, the cringe is so real, and I had such trouble watching it. Can I just say my mentions at the moment are full of absolute boring twats who are genuinely angry, like properly furious <laughs> that this was the post-credit sequence of this show, saying why wasn't it this? Why it should have been something else? It should have been they should have given us another character. It's like no. This, it said, happy holidays from Marvel. Here's a fun thing of this really yeah. fun number and, and something that's just like intentionally silly, but also kind of great. And we love that it exists. And Marvel doesn't owe you a new character in a post-credit sting stock being boring twats. <laughs> <laughs> You've been turned on you. Lock your doors, people. Lock your doors. I will say it's not people who follow me. It's people who have found the tweet because it has hashtag Hawkeye or Rogers the Musical in it. So it's not people, it's not my lovely followers. It is... Other people <laughs> on Twitter. Mm. Okay. All right. Here's a question. You know, speaking of sort of boring twats, we've been talking about, um, you know, yeah, yeah. Brian Darcy James <laughs> coming back oh. a lot. So do you still yeah. think that's a possibility in the future? Do you think that with Elner off the board, he suddenly no. turns up? Or do you think that's just no. a no? I think I've been wrong about a great many things in this in this show. Uh, I, I've been right about some stuff. I just can't remember exactly what it is. But uh, yeah, but that was my big thing that he was he was he was uh, playing dead. He was playing possum. Uh, 
And there's an awful lot of stuff about Eleanor's motivations that I'm still a little bit unsure about, shall we say. But, uh, but you know, you know I, 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 I've got a good batting average. I could be wrong about stuff. I was driving Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Fuck you. Ha! Ha! <laughs> what? I think, I, I think Eleanor is still in trouble, by the way, um, because she made the mistake of telling Kingpin that she has a backup plan with all these compromising information and, you know, Jail, jail will not keep her safe, regardless of whether Kingpin is blinded or not. I love that her daughter is so bl- blasé about the whole thing in that case. She just like, puts her in jail and fucks off to wherever Clinton and Laura live. Because, yeah, assuming that you know, she'll, she'll want to play that card with her lawyers to get out of the jam that she, she's in, um, I'm not sure Kingpin will let it go that far. But uh, we'll yeah, see. I'm pretty sure we've seen Kingpin get to people in prison in Daredevil throughout that show yes um i I did want to say before by the way when we're talking about kingpin i think the fact that he's like almost hulkish now with his strength is a way of like 12 rated mcuifying him because as we were joking Mm. last week is this going to be an 18 plus rated episode where he's slamming people's heads in car doors and mulching people up into paste and they obviously can't do that with him here and i think it's an interesting trade-off to kind of make him less viscerally violent but make him a physical force to be reckoned with as a way of keeping that same actor and keeping that character but just slightly tweaking that for for this version of the mcu or this part of the mcu hmm that is a very good shout. I also love that he literally, when we meet him properly, uh, speaks quietly and carries a big stick. I just, I just, it's it's subtle, but I love it. Vincent D'Onofrio, he just brings the presence to that character that is so palpably felt. Like even in, in the very first scene of this episode, when he is meeting Eleanor and him, Vincent and Vera sort of share the frame, the way in that is filmed, like, he is so massive and compared to Vera, she does, who's not like, she's quite a tall person. She looks so small mm. in that frame. I love the way that that was shot. It was really good. Mm. And yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that he's back in the fold. I think, you know, <laughs> and we've spoken about this before on other podcasts, but when casting is that good, you find a way to, you know, just continue it. Uh, like same thing they do with JK, JK Simmons and J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, so yeah, very happy that he's back. I think they've increased his bulk as well, just to make him, you know, a, a credible threat in the MCU. When you're dealing with street level heroes who don't, you know, have, yeah, you know, obviously Luke Cage has super strength, so does Jessica Jones, but he was primarily a Daredevil villain in the Netflix shows. Then you, you didn't need to be able to go toe to toe necessarily with those characters, and he does here. Although I still don't quite understand what is so intimidating and terrifying about him that that Clint just can't take him out from three blocks away. Mm. <laughs> you know, just whoop, arrow through the head, boom. Not a joke arrow through the head, but like an actual arrow through the head. Job done. Judging by the fact that he shrugged it off in this episode, yeah. it wouldn't do much good. <laughs> he, I mean, it's possible he did try. Uh, he may have caught the arrow. You know, he has, he's also surprisingly quick. So I think yeah. that's that's always been one of the things about him as well. So yeah, maybe he has tried a number of times and has essentially been fought to a stalemate. And then this is what we're seeing. He's a big man, but he's in good shape. And with him, <laughs> it's a full-time job. Uh, yeah, there's 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 a couple of other things we want to talk about, and then we'll have some quick listener questions, although we have, as usual, covered a lot of, of what they're asking in our dribbling conversation. I wanted to talk uh, about a couple of really cool 
throwaway Clint moments. I loved Renner's delivery of we're all going to die when he's in the tree <laughs> and the LARPers come out and they're in their costumes and he's like, oh God, we're all going to die. Uh, his throwaway delivery also of I'll have to ask Scott about that one when yes. Kate asks about the Pym Arrow, which which may well answer our earlier query from episode three. Why is Hank Pym making arrows for someone who's affiliated with Tony Stark? Uh, well, Tony Stark saved the world, obviously. But also, you know, it's maybe more of a Scott Lang favour for his mate rather than a Hank Pym one. He really took some solid gear from the Avengers compound because he got, like, the, the, Stark, <laughs> the Stark bombs as well, the Stark for his arrows and stuff like that. It was really, really good. <laughs> you think, now you're adding looting to his crimes? Is that what you're, what no! you're doing? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Loot away, Clint. Loot Who else away. is going to take wow. those? Like... Like Steve is gone. <laughs> Tony, sorry, Chris is dead. Uh, Hulk's got a bad arm now. Natasha's dead, and he doesn't need no them. one else was going to take that stuff. Yes, <laughs> I feel like Hawkeye is just like I'll just have anything that's left. I would have liked to see him go back to let's say the locker room where he is, which he is used as a drop occasionally to pick up some of those ingredients. You know, I feel like mm. very quickly uh, her aunt's apartment is transformed into this lab, it seems like. And I kind of would like to see just a little bit more intermediary uh, stuff to that. But maybe I'm being picky. Mm. I am being picky. Yeah. The Clint moment I want to talk about, uh, partially because some people online are getting on my nerves as well, because there are some people online likening uh, Clint's whistle moment to a certain Martha moment in Batman v Superman. And I'm oh, like, what? this moment is much better than that on many different levels. So I, it's a moment I really like, you know, Clint has been trying to talk to Yelena before uh, sort of using that, but it is a really good thing to use to sort of get Yelena to calm down and actually listen to her, uh, listen to him rather. And I just really... Uh, love that they brought that back. That's one one of my favorite things about Black Widow was that sisterly connection, um, and to bring it back the way they did here, I think was very smart. Oh, you don't yes. agree? I okay. Not wild. I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold on it. I think it feels. You know, you have to imagine the conversation that takes place. You know, yes, obviously Natasha would be talking to Clint, who is her best friend, about Yelena, yeah. who is her estranged sister, and they've had lots of adventures together. But, you know, she go, oh, and hey, we had a secret whistle. Oh, oh, really? You had a secret whistle? Yeah, we had a secret whistle. Uh, what did that go like? Well, it went like this. I would, she would go, and then I would go, and that's how we knew we would summon each other, you see? So, you know, Clint, if you're ever in a situation where, I don't know, and this maybe seem a bit far-fetched, but if you're ever in a situation where my sister, who of course is a Black Widow assassin, has you at gunpoint, is about to kill you, and you need to persuade her somehow that you weren't implicit in my death, then you could maybe use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card? I don't know, so I'm just giving it to you now as a friend. I'm not sure that's the most plausible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, I'm just spitballing here, maybe she used that call and response when working mm. with Clint. Maybe she suggested that as a mm. call and response. They used it together. And then at some point she told him, I used to do this with my sister. And it was our thing. Like That okay. seems possibly more likely to me. I don't know. Um, Clint is Natasha's most trusted ally. I could see her divulging that information. That's all fair. Especially in the timeline that Endgame is taking place, when there's so much talk about grief, and I can imagine there have been the comment like, "Did you lose anyone?" That is when Clint, if as when Natasha, if she hadn't already at that point, 
would tell Clint about Yelena, I could see that happening for sure. It's also possible that she, you know, saw him pre-blip, uh, even when on the run, because he wouldn't turn her in, and he was mm. under house arrest. She and she could have got past any security there. That's not a problem. So they could absolutely have seen each other post Civil War, pre Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure it's all fine. I'm just being a Grinch. I'm just being a, a, a old Christmassy Grinch. I, I You're think a mean you know, we one. all expected. I am. We all expected the Yelena Clint confrontation to end with them ultimately figuring out that. You know, they don't really want to kill well, She doesn't really want to kill him. He didn't want to kill her at all in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was actually really, really beautifully handled. And I, I, listen, I like the callback and I love everything that's elegant about this long form style of storytelling, which is you introduce something down the line and then you, you pay it off two, three, well, not even films, but two, three pieces of entertainment content, whatever the fuck this is, later on. So you introduce this in Black Widow, which was meant to be 2020, don't forget. And then. You pay it off uh, a year and a half down the line with this. That would that's lovely and elegant. And there, there are little things. There, there are little enhancements, emotional enhancements to the story that I don't think were necessarily intended by Yelena's presence in this, and by the fact that you know Florence Pugh is so good in this scene. She's tremendous. You know, she has mm-hmm. been in this show. She has been the hard-edged fighter on the roof, and then goofy assassin about town for the rest of the thing and then suddenly you see the true emotional core of Yelena that's all that's all tremendous but there is there is something in that exchange which kind of hit home for me a little bit so last week we saw that Yelena got blipped and you know it was just it, at the time we didn't even really discuss it in that much detail we went oh did we think that Yelena was going to get blipped yes no yes no and then we kind of moved on. And then I started thinking about the emotional impact that that would have had. Not for her, necessarily, in terms of from her point of view, is she blips, she comes back to a world where her sister is dead. And she's about to find out her sister is dead. From Natasha's point of view, what that does is it takes Yelena off the, off the board. So we always were thinking, oh, what's going to happen in between? You know, those five years between everyone being snapped and the most of Endgame. What it does is it gives Natasha something else to fight for. And it gives her another reason to be, you know, hugely melancholic about the whole thing. And explains perhaps, and I don't think this was the intention, but you can certainly apply this to it after the fact. You know, you can call this retconning if you will. But, you know, if you look at, look at her in, in, in Endgame, you think, oh, well, that's the sister who's now lost her sister that she just reconnected with. And so now in Formir, she's not just fighting, you know, for the universe, she's fighting to bring her sister back. Mm-hmm. And that makes her sacrifice, knowing that she's going to kill herself, but never see her sister again. That makes that much more affecting as well after the fact. I don't know how deliberate that was necessarily, but that's certainly something I, w- I was thinking about during this episode. And I think it's all there in Florence Pugh's performance. And that scene, Jimbo, you know, you're a big Yelena fan, big Florence Pugh fan. You know, what do you think of that scene and, and that, that conversation between Clint and, and Yelena? I, I think I liked it, but I'd, I'd never, it's never rung true to me. I think the thing with this, with Hawkeye, is because of the nature of the tone of it and because of its sort of like general sort of festive feel, you give it an awful lot of leeway. Like we obviously we've drilled down because that is the nature of what we do here. And, you know, we're questioning all of the various plot points, but, but you give it a little bit of latitude. And I think like the fact that she would want to kill 
Natasha's best friend and would just believe that he killed it makes no sense to me whatsoever mm. it's just nonsense but you kind of let it go because it, it provides a reason for her to be here and fine it's fine so I think with all of that in mind I was absolutely fine with the way it played out does it make sense of course not is it believable absolutely not however you know it's nice and the whistle I think I think worked in that regard because you needed you know it was contrived that she ever would have believed that he did it so why not be contrived that she finally believes that he isn't and I think it is a sweet moment and I enjoyed you know, in the kind of festive, fuzzy, warm by the fire under the tree kind of environment that it, it, it sort of takes you. I enjoyed that with them. And, and it would have been incredibly cheesy to have had her over for Christmas dinner at the end. But God damn it, was I not disappointed that she wasn't there. <laughs> I, wanted her, I wanted her to be like, hi, when they came in. You went partial Jar Jar there. You went a little bit Jar Jar, like, hi. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> she could have worn another terrific coat, which would have been, oh, which would have have been amazing. It would have been great. I, I look. I think that the I like that the f- the fact that he had to firmly convince her that it was Natasha's choice and there was nothing he could do to stop her because I think that was kind of respectful of the character and and of everything that Yelena knows about her. You know, I thought there'd be more of that, but I think it was. I think the thing has always been. I can believe that that you know Val or whoever told Yelena. You know, he could have saved her or didn't, or even more accurately, he could have sacrificed himself and didn't. Um, and that she would believe that and she would accept that and she would act on that basis. But I think um, here for him to go, she was dead set on being the one to sacrifice herself and I could not stop her, which is in fact the truth. You know, I think it came across that he actually made that case to her and he actually convinced her of that. So, um, yeah, I sort of thought it pretty much worked. Okay, so we'll take some very, very quick listener questions. Uh, first one's from at Merchant of Sound. Why does Wilson Fisk hate car doors? <laughs> <laughs> does he hate them or does he love them? It's mm. unclear. He certainly seems to enjoy them a lot in Daredevil. What is but, his gym yeah. routine? Is he going in and breaking every single machine in there? <laughs> Feels like it, doesn't it? It does. Uh, at King Olinaramis... I really enjoyed it. However, why did they hire Fira Formiga to have her be a half fill-in? Why bother with Finny D, Vincent D'Onofrio, to you and I, to maybe kill him off? They have not killed him off. Uh, and also, Jack, what the fuck? <laughs> I have several things to say here. First up, Vinny D is and always will be Vin Diesel. All due respect to Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Vinny D is Vin Diesel. That's harsh on Vera Farmiga. I was going to say before, she, I thought, was excellent in this show, right? Because she is there as a mm-hmm. as a player on the periphery. She is never going to be a central part of this show. But I thought she played all of those different kind of flavours that kept you guessing because right from episode one, you go, look at your haircut, look at what you're wearing. You're clearly a bad one. But then when she had those moments with Kate, they had real genuine warmth to them. And I think where it ultimately ended up mm-hmm. in this episode because of her performance, I felt the predicament. I felt the way that she had convinced herself that she was doing this for Kate and Kate seeing that actually she's gone way too far. She's crossed the line. And I thought it had that real balance between like, oh, this is Kate's mum. This is the person who has that like maternal warmth for her, but also she's caught up in all these dodgy dealings. And I thought Vera Farmiga was the exact right person to play both sides of that really convincingly and swirl them together in a way that you never quite knew whether you were kind of with her or against her. I thought she was great. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Uh, however, Jack, what the fuck is a very, very valid <laughs> yeah. question. One I've been trying to ask for the entire episode, and we've been getting sidetracked. And I just think they 
I'm not entirely sure that this is exactly what they intended with this character. Who knows? But I think they just decided with this episode to go, fuck it, we're going to lean into the absurdity of this character, who is a character who may or may not be English. It's hard to tell. He may or may not be (laughs) villainous. We don't know. But he has a sword. He is the swordsman in the comic books. And by God, he's going to use it by just killing a whole bunch of people and once again, getting away with it with impunity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, where's your accountability now, Jack? Yeah. But good fun. Good for, I mean, good fun, but like he's visibly wearing one sword. He, he's actually wielding two, I think, right? Because uh, I thought there were times <laughs> where, well, I don't know, but there were times where it looked like he was having a sword fight with somebody else. And I'm like, where did their swords come from? How did the tracksuit mafia <laughs> suddenly have swords? And then the only, the only way I could make sense of it is if he was kind of waving two, which he seems to be in one scene. So that's a, that's a look. That's a lot of look with a, with a traditional tuxedo. I, uh, Obviously, he has an affinity with the LARPers as well. I like there was a moment in when the LARPers got involved in the fight where one of them like really properly hit somebody and it was like, and they had shock on their face and clearly all the fighting they normally do is pretend fighting and it was just a moment of like, oh no, real violence, what have I done? Which I thought was fun. <laughs> Here's a question from Stewpots on Twitter. Uh, and a lot of people have asked this, so Stu Potts will take the responsibility. On behalf of loads of people, uh, does the revelation about Laura being an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and potentially Mockingbird, does that effectively kill Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continuity? Honestly, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continuity, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they did so many things with you know, time travel and different dimensions and, and stuff that I'm pretty sure like the continuity that initially they started with is no longer the continuity they they end with. So just in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s own body of work, the continuity was messed up. So, um, yeah, I've only mentioned mentioned, uh, the whole Mockingbird thing. I mean, it's not canon, is it? I I, I don't think what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did is in canon with what is is MCU now. And the Darkhold already did that in WandaVision as well, because the Darkhold appeared in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, in a really cool way, by the way. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did Ghost Rider very well. Yes, it did. Yes, they did. I will certainly grant you that. At Das underscore Ginge, does the pod think it was a dick move that Clint didn't bring his wife a Christmas present? He only returned her property. That's not the same thing. (laughs) We we saw him carrying in several parcels. He also carried a bag which could have contained more parcels. I don't think we can conclude that he didn't bring his wife a Christmas present. Yeah, he might have emailed her Amazon vouchers. Oh, 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 okay. I have been behind her supportive character the whole way through, but if he did that, then I think she should kick him to the curb yeah. immediately. He would have gone from Clint to C-Bomb. C-Bomb one. Uh, no, that's, that's a callback. Uh, at Jammin2846, what was your favourite trick arrow? Ooh. Oh, the electric one that sucked up all the guns. That was fantastic. I the giant that cushion arrow I'm going with because what the fuck was that? <laughs> I like the electric spiderweb arrow. Yeah, that was I liked cool. the green explosive goop arrow that destroyed the tree. Oh, the acid, the acid arrow. Acid acid arrow. Yeah. yeah. Poor tree. Oh, RIP tree. Jason94 at MUFC asks, which you're more excited to see more of moving forward, Daredevil or Kingpin? And someone else up here whose name I have just missed. Here we are, Beast18081. Which Marvel movie would you like to see Kate pop up in next? So there's two questions. Young Avengers. Mm. I mean, yes. 
Do you think they're going to do Young Avengers? It's got to. I mean, yes. I don't know. I'm not sure that's a name for it. I'm not sure that's what I'm calling it. But I, I feel like we're you know we're moving the pieces into place. And uh, absolutely, they are. It would feel like it could work. Don't the Young Avengers just become the Avengers at this stage? Well, the I'm, not saying, they, I'm all... not saying they call it Young Avengers, but mm. like that's kind of what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, and in terms of the other question, Daredevil. Um, love Kingpin. I like that I've got this little Kingpin fix to tide me over until he next appears, but Daredevil, Charlie Cox is my boy. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Looking Although, forward to seeing more of that character. Netflix did show us that without Kingpin, Daredevil can go off the rails quite easily. So, actually, I like the idea of having them both together. So, if they both yes. appear in Echo, then that is the best of all possible worlds. I guarantee that both of them will wow. appear in Echo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Kev, Kevin Feige, you can take a break. Amon has got it from here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Mark the time and date. When all of this stuff happens, I'm going to look back on this podcast and just say, told you, I was right. Nobody's, like, nobody's argued with you. We're just, <laughs> we're just impressed by your sureness. Itchy Nads says, how fast was Eleanor's three-point turn? And that is a very, very good point. I was thinking to myself, there's no way she's had time to get into yeah. that car, take the driver out of the car, dump his body by the side of the road, get into the car, start the car somehow because she'd need to find the driver's keys. Then she would have to reverse out of that little space, drive along the road, get enough momentum to drive the kingpin through the window. It's unrealistic. And that, along with the gestation period for Rogers the Musical, took me right out of the show. You've convinced me, Chris. What a shit episode. What a rubbish series. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, Ben, what a shit show, right? Absolutely right. What a shit show. But anyway, uh, we cannot let listener questions go without a contribution from our old pal, Fal Shopaholic, who has sent in once again... Let me just have a quick look here. Uh, a trillion, a trillion questions, uh, awesome. roughly. Yay. So, um, when were they going to set the record straight about Rogers the musical? As an Ant Man was not there. I think that's a conflation of him being there in 2012. In you know, some, in some tellings of it, he will be there in 2012 because he went back in time, didn't he? So, so maybe mm-hmm. some people saw him or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's just the way that it's got out. Urban legend is that he was there in 2012. Who <laughs> who the fuck knows? Um, Clint making trick arrows is as sexy as watching Henry Cavill build a computer. Oh, four. <laughs> Wait, are these from James or from Val? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Yeah. Uh, they're not so much questions, more more uh, comments, and we've kind of covered most of them. But, you know, I wanted to give a shout out to Fellow Shopaholic. She sends in questions yes, every does. week, and the show would be poorer without her contributions. Uh, Speaking of which, by the way, no Val, like MCU Val, no Val. Which I'm not mad. Oh, oh my I mean, God, I'm so yeah, happy. I'm not loving that character at the moment, but I, th- I thought there was a chance she could turn up because of the Yelena connection. Yes, I'm, I'm so, didn't. so glad. They need to go away and rethink that character stat. Mm. And maybe they go are. away and rethink maybe. that character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, uh, that is time to bring this to an end. And we haven't even mentioned the coolest Clint Barton, no Luke arrow shot since the first <laughs> Avengers. Mm. That was very cool. It was very cool. It be, and, and we haven't even mentioned that. Did they shoot on 30 Rock? Did they? Because that, <laughs> that looked pretty authentic. Did they shut the place down for a week or so and just go nuts? Who knows? There's loads of other things we haven't even talked about. We haven't even talked about that great scene with Kate and Clint finally fighting back to back and taking out all the tracks of Mafia. We've talked about bits and pieces of it, but not the whole scene. Just seeing them together fighting back to back. Hawkeye and Hawkeye. 
in action together was tremendous. We haven't even talked about the last shot, the lovely last shot, which comes to rest on the target, the the, the big dartboard, is what I'm going to call it, that we saw, of course, at the beginning of Endgame to heartbreaking effect. And now it has been restored and Clint has been restored right to the heart of his family. And that was just really, really lovely. I mean, there's, there's loads and loads of stuff. Anything else? What do you guys want to talk about? Anything else we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about the costumes. We haven't talked about them wearing their matching outfits. Oh, oh. Oh, beautiful. So good. The purple oh. looks great. And that yeah. moment when Kate's like, oh, you wore the costume and he had it under his shirt all along. And it magically fit under his mm-hmm. well-fitted tux. Okay, sure. <laughs> all right. Okay. Sure. Took me right out. <laughs> Love the costumes. I did want to also mention a really fun callback with one of the members of the tracksuit mafia. Uh, the one who Kate talked to oh, about yes. girlfriend problems. That was awesome. So I loved good. That. Very fun. Yes. <laughs> Maroon 5, though. <laughs> Worse than Imagine Dragons. What a downgrade. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's true. They're apocalyptically <laughs> terrible. about James was a long, long time ago. <laughs> I, no, just no. Get in the sun, please. Um <laughs> Please, please, please get in the sun. <laughs> this is my, my new attempt. I'm just trying to lure people into the sun. Please get in the sun. It's really, really nice. Uh, yes, I was. I loved that scene. I loved so much about this episode and so much about this this series as well. I thought it was absolutely terrific. And there's a moment in the show where Clint and Kate bond and Clint says to Kate, you know, once in a while, you come across somebody who makes you better in every way. And that person for me wasn't able to make it to this room tonight, but... Wow. I will, however, thank my four LARPing colleagues of such lethal cunning uh, for enriching our lives over the last six weeks, because that is it. That is it for our Hawkeye spoiler specials. Uh, And it is time to say goodbye to my four colleagues of such lethal cunning. James Dyer, a.k.a. Hawkshot. Yes. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. He's off to squirt hot sauce into his macaroni, and that is not a euphemism. It might be. I don't know. (laughs) It is goodbye from Chekhov's coin trick, Amon Mormon. Peace. Peace. Peace be unto you, my friend. Uh, It is goodbye from It's a Wonderful LARP. Goodbye, you old Ben Travers. Goodbye. Every time a Hawkeye fires an arrow, an angel gets its wings. Is that a thing? We'll workshop it. (laughs) (laughs) It is goodbye from Lady Hawk herself. Helen O'Hara. An underrated movie. <laughs> Toodaloo, happy Christmas. And it's goodbye from me, Kingpin Merrily on High. Let's hope that, like Clint and Kate, we can spend Christmas with our loved ones. To quote, perhaps the best of the Avengers, Captain, it would be my genuine pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Merry Christmas, you old building alone. Bye. Bows this is the weirdest thing we've ever done. Good lord. <laughs>